Hello and welcome to another episode of Rigori, the Italian football podcast. I'm Marco Rinaldi and I'm joined by a freshly wounded cousin, Giancarlo Rinaldi, because <laughs> yeah. we record this on a Sunday night and uh, we've just had Roma Fiorentina. Yeah, the pain, the pain is still very, very fresh and strong after after that very disappointing. I mean, quite a disappointing game overall, I think, for Sunday night viewers yeah, on BT Sport or whatever. But particularly disappointing if you were a Fiorentina fan. It, um, it was the game. It was probably the last train for Europe. Really, I mean, it was early in the season. Maybe well, we're coming to the halfway point. It's maybe too early to say that, but there is a big gap now between the top seven and the kind of also rans and Fiorentina firmly in the also ran category at the moment. They were, they could have narrowed that gap, obviously Roma being in the top seven, but they never looked like doing it. Really, I don't think. I mean, uh, well, I have my viola glasses on, but the, the first half was pretty desperate football, I thought, and and then Dodo. Uh, did a no-no by getting himself sent off, really, you know, having got an early yellow card, which I felt was a bit debatable, really, the first yellow. But once you've got it, you know, you know you've got it. (laughs) Act act accordingly, and especially with a referee that was quite keen to show that he had a yellow card in his pocket, you know, then it was a no-brainer he slid in. Uh, again, you know, to me it was one you could or couldn't have given, but when, uh, by the standard he'd set, the referee, I think it was always going to be a second. And then you're left, you know, with with the prospect of playing with with ten men and and Roma, a very pragmatic team, I think, as you'd expect from Mourinho. They'd, it was a nice volley from Paulo Dybala to open the score. Did get a bit of a deflection. Might have thought Terracano could do a bit better, although as I say, with the deflection. It was very close to him, but um, couldn't keep it out. And then, actually, in the second half, I thought Fiorentina played better with ten men, made some changes yeah, to, to to personnel, kind of opened up, had a few chances, and really, you know, that's where I think that's the main criticism of Roma. Although, you know, ultimately they got it home and got the win, got a second goal on the break, nice interplay between Abraham and and Dybala again, but they don't really go for the jugular. They don't. Certainly entertain Roma and what I've seen. They, you know, they were one 0 up against ten men, but they seem perfectly happy with that. You know, they were. Kept... Yeah, it's it's an example of the of the sort of old school uh, approach to football, Italian football, perhaps that we we will touch on again shortly, maybe. <laughs> but before we move on from the uh, Fiorentina game, I just want to ask you about their strip because it's a very strange. I don't know if that's their away shirt or their third shirt, but it's not exactly a million miles away from their home colours. I think it might be a fourth shirt. I think right, okay, it could be a fourth shirt, Marco. I think they brought out a duck. I've got one. I think it is the fourth kit. Is, it isn't a million. You're absolutely right. It's a, just a darker, a darker, more depressing yeah. <laughs> version of, of the viola, really. Yes, ah, yeah, no. So, I mean, it was appropriate, really, because that was a, see, you know, having... Actually, their form's not been bad overall between pre and post break. They've been improving, and you know there's still some things that are just. It's really when they come up against the top teams that they are just always found wanting. Really, you know, I mean, and they put in some good performances. Not that 
tonight wasn't one of them, but you know they have put in decent performances against the top team, but they just seem to come away with little or nothing. They got a point off Napoli, got a point off Juve, but you know the rest of them they've come away empty-handed, and you know then you have to have a look at at the team and say, well, what's what's going wrong there? You know, I mean, and okay, they've been you know in Europe, so there's extra games, and this sort of concertina season has made that difficult as well I think you know a lot of games with a squad that's had its share of injuries but just to say I, I was disappointed as I said you know 10 men's a bit of a, a an alibi I suppose um, playing a game in a man disadvantage for quite so long but you know I, I was disappointed before the man got sent off they seemed quite yeah. they seemed quite sort of reluctant to go for and fearful of Roma and that's not been in fairness that's not been a hallmark of the season they've usually managed to mess up against the big teams by kind of going for it but it didn't really feel like they were going for it until you know they were down to 10 men in the second half so but it's um, oh and again there are another you know another mid table crackers coming up against Torino I think in the next in the next round of games and that you know they, they, they really need to push on and, and maybe Europe's going to be the best chance of doing something yeah. exciting this season we've got those games with Braga coming up in, in February and I mean those will be tough as well so the, the squad just doesn't look up to re-qualifying for Europe this season at the moment uh, Well moving on, I, I mentioned there the, the, the sort of negative football or old school football of Roma and of course there's been another team in Italy that has been very much employing that approach this season uh, to to some acclaim which we we uh, questioned somewhat last week but uh, Juve of course went on this amazing run of 1-0 wins against lower teams in the table um, and uh, were lauded for it but then they came up against Napoli, and it didn't. It didn't quite work out for them, unfortunately. It didn't. It didn't appear to be a plan B to mm. um, winning games in the 80th minute <laughs> and defending deep against even more humble opposition. Yeah, exactly, more humble opposition than Napoli. You know, I mean, it, it would have been. I think almost well. I mean, for a club of UV stature, not really. But let's say against Napoli, and you know one of uh, an entertaining side it might have been understandable to try that tactic uh, at the Maradona but if it, if they did indeed try that tactic it failed miserably because there were five went in they did get their one but five went in at the other end and some glorious football it was really it you know rather than laughing at Juve although you know that's a pleasant side order to the game I think you should laud Napoli for the way they played the way they approached the game was exactly and they were rewarded for it I think that was you know they showed an enterprising approach they played some lovely football is there anything better in the game just now than a Victor Osimhen header I'm not sure there is just absolutely fantastic Scalia was back to his best. You know, we had some doubts maybe after the mm. break that, that teams had figured him out, but he tortured them. And just the playing it out from the back, the, the, the style of the football, the swagger. I mean, I saw Allegri interviewed afterwards and his praise seemed very grudging. It was, you know, it was a bit like the, the wind is in Napoli's sails at the moment or something, but that can turn round and it was as if, you know, it was as if it was a fluke that, that or, you know, as if there was some good fortune to it and that could all 
change. But I mean, I think certainly from my point of view, as I sort of always want the underdog against the the giant, it was great to see. And and you know, so it's Napoli's title now to throw away. Really, you know, that at this moment in time, they're far and away the best footballing team in Italy, and you might even see they've got a chance of being one of the best in in Europe as well you know certainly certainly the best that Italy has to offer in terms of the the football they play and what they seem to have now is a deeper squad as well you know when they were I looked when they were bringing on the Raspadori they were bringing on you know players late in the game mm-hmm. the Elmas made it you know they all made a difference I think as well or players who can make a difference so that that gives Spalletti a, a, a love these downbeat expression every time a goal went in. I mean he really he really was laying it on thick with being being a contrary old devil and, and, and not showing any emotion and then chasing after Allegri to shake his hand at the full time whistle. I'm sure I'm sure we all would have loved to shake Max Allegri's hand at that at that full time at that full time whistle. It was just okay, it was the deflation of a, a myth I mean I mean and Juve might well go on another great run of 1-0 victories over modest opposition. They may yet be crowned champions of Italy, but, I mean, I think on this evidence that would be a terrible miscarriage of justice if if they, if they did. I think so. And I think, you know, I said last week, I think it would be a, a bad thing for Italian football if Juve playing the way that they have been this season were to somehow win the title and you know I think it was good that 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 style of football has been has been found out by a team playing you know exciting attacking progressive football like Napoli do um Juve still have some players to come back and I think what the frustrating thing for me with Juve is that they do have good players and they, they have players that you would think could play in a way that was more exciting and more attacking. You know, you've got Chiesa Di Maria uh, up front uh, with Vlaovic. And, you know, this is a team that should be trying to score goals rather than just hanging on and grinding out wins. That's what the frustrating point is in case there's any Juventini currently shouting <laughs> at us for, for gloating too much. Because I'm not, I'm not um, particularly anti-Juve, but I am very much anti this Juve playing this way. Um, and I was quite happy to see Napoli thump them. Also, wanted to ask about you, you mentioned Napoli striker there, and uh, you pronounced it in a very different way to the BT Sport commentator, who I think was going with Osimien or something like that. I mean, it, you would think if you've got a job on like a, the biggest game in Serie A that season, you would at least. Do some research on how to pronounce the players' yep. names. Well, it was it was curious because I felt it was like I mean, you I mean, Mark was a fairly straightforward name for an English speaker. Giancarlo's a little more tricky, so I do get from time to time it's sort of John Carlo, Jean Carlo, and I try as politely as I can to slip my own name back into the conversation mm. pronounced correctly, you know, and I say, oh, yes, you know, my, my mother likes to, she's the only person that calls me Jan Carlo mm. and, um, to give me my full name. And yet it, it was as if the commentator was deaf to that because Don Hutchison was trying <laughs> yeah, to do it. Right. I mean, he tried to say it back to him. It was almost like he was, you know, he was saying, oh, see, man, and, and yet he carried on with, oh, see, man. I don't know if there's, there are just some names that, confound people and they get stuck 
with a sort of an incorrect pronunciation. It's, of it's it. weird though because it's not like. But it's Paris not a difficult. No. it's not a difficult one. No, it doesn't seem that tricky. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe someone will come on and say actually that's the correct pronunciation. Yeah, maybe, maybe, I don't maybe. know, but I mean, it seems to be universally accepted in football. That it's one way, uh, and it was. Yeah, no, I noticed on social media, myself included, but a few people doing their dinger about that particular <laughs> about that particular pronunciation. I mean, it didn't stop them scoring goals, but it was. It is. It does great, and you know, and I, I mean, I'm not. Uh, uh, I'm not a sort of pronunciation kind of fascist that that goes around and insists on you know I mean I'm Rinaldi really in Italy but you know I don't mind being called Rinaldi it's okay you know but something like that as you see you think it was a basic part of the job to get one of the star players pronunciations correct well it's just when it's when people add letters into a name that's not actually that difficult to do which is what he seemed to be doing there which is <laughs> I can never quite understand where that comes from, but uh, anyway, it was it was a fine victory for Napoli, and obviously puts them uh, well clear at the top of the table, especially after uh, Milan dropped points against Lecce. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I think again, though, you know, like we're about giving kudos to the wee teams as well, mm. and that, to me, Lecce are like two teams. There's Lecce at home and Lecce away. Lecce at home are a tough unit. I mean, they go for it. They they do they do try to win. They're not like some teams that set up, you know, very negatively. Yeah. And you know, they were they were two nil up and deservedly so. Yeah, I absolutely. would say, you yeah. know, and the evidence of I saw, they had more chances. They could have got. They could have got more. They could have got further ahead. They ran out of steam a bit, and you know, in a way, it, it was a bit old Milan, I suppose, to you know that character that they showed on their way to the title. Um, to get back into the game, I did love. I loved it. I had to Google how tall Davide Calabria was because he scored a header late on to get the well, not late on, but he scored the header that equalised the game. Um, but it looked like you know when your kids sort of try to jump up for a ball and they're he, he looked absolutely tiny for some reason. He only <laughs> or he barely just got off the ground. I yeah. think with his with his jump, but it was enough to it was enough to get the ball home. It was just it was quite it was quite comical if you wanted the sort of the opposite of an Osimhen header. That was that was it. But it did it did highlight. I mean, I think I saw somewhere you know last season it was Pioli's on fire, and I think you know maybe. Pioli's been extinguished this season. I don't know. It's not been. It's not been great. Pioli's um, smoldering. Yes, aye, yeah, aye. It's not been. It's not been great for for Milan. And you know, I, I, I guess to me, I felt in some ways they overperformed last season. You know, they really things clicked. There were a lot of key games where they just had the guts to get yeah. the to get the result, and that's quite hard to replicate. And it's also hard to replicate when you got you know European commitments as well and you know players that were obviously away at the World Cup as well and, you know, and that's... their new signings haven't really done anything no no them. that's right yeah no we've we've mentioned that before and that, that you know they haven't really added a lot to the the squad as of yet um so all of that makes it you know quite a quite a difficult task for them and it's just not um, producing the results the, the the way they did, as I say, you know, character hats off to cover. But good on Lecce as well. You know, they're heading towards a pretty safe salvation this season. I think anybody at the Via del Mare would be, you know, more than more than chuffed, more than chuffed with mm. that. And with three teams kind of looking 
a bit cut off adrift at the bottom of the league, you know, then I think it frees up a bit, takes a bit of pressure off these teams as well and allows them to play a bit of football. Because I do think that, you know, you know, Serie A and D's gone by had a reputation as a bit of a dull league and there were some dull teams in it. But I think actually now you see teams in that mid-table pot that do actually go for it. And I think it might be down to the fact just that, you know, Samp, Cremonese and Verona have been so downright awful that they've given them they've given them a bit of a sort of security blanket to say, oh, you know, we can actually go and have a go at Milan because, you know what, if we get something out of it, great. If we don't, doesn't really matter because probably Verona and Samp and Cremonese will all lose again. Yeah, and uh, you know, just to carry on that idea that the the, the A hold is is in the past. Um, Atalanta had a thumping result today against Salernitana. Well, I, I had notifications switched on for that one, and I thought something had gone wrong with my phone, or I thought I'd become popular. But I was soon, <laughs> uh, I was soon dissuaded of that when I saw it was just a uh, Atalanta opening a can of Bergamo Vopas on the unsuspecting unsuspecting Salernitana 8-2 I had a wee look back just on um, I think it was a, a mildly credible stats website to see I mean it's I think it's there's only six games in Serie A history that have seen more goals than that and the, the, the last one of those was uh, Milan actually beat Atalanta 9-3 in 1972, which I'll confess I was only three years old, I don't remember that one. I do remember though there was a couple of there have been a couple of other ten goal games with Lazio beat Samp seven three in 2017. I think that was an end of season one, and the last eight two was Inter against Padova in 1996. But I felt a bit sorry for. I mean, we bigged up sort of Ochoa in the Salernitana goal and then he had a, a game to not even a game to forget well, no, really because yeah, he actually did really alright no yeah, I don't I think there was because yeah. I looked at those goals and I thought was there one way you could blame him not really because he even saved a penalty yeah. and unfortunately for him it just fell straight out to Coop Miners who then rolled it in so it was a, a series of unfortunate events for for Ochoa really but Atalanta we said in the past had a bit of a team that you know if there was a Serie A side that was going to do something like that they certainly have to be in the reckoning I mean I don't think I think we're safe to see Roma and Juve are not going to be producing those games anytime soon but Atalanta at home in front of their own fans is a it's always a good atmosphere there at the what is it now? The Givis Stadium or whatever it's called, mm. um, you know. So, so they and they have clicked into form. I just show you, you know, like earlier in the season we spoke of Udinese. Their their form seems to be tailing off. Atalanta seem to be getting it right again, you know. And a fair play to to Gasparini. They're they're back top seven and they look they look in you know pretty cracking form. I mean, eight two is the same as a bit. A, a bit OTT really, but you know, and it was every. I mean, it was like everybody chipped in with a goal as well. It was only Lukman got two. The rest of the yeah. team, it was when you see Sir Ederson shooting from range and Zortea, uh, I think one of the uh, ex Salernitana player. It was like everybody just queuing up um, to, to to score a goal. So, but as I say, that, I think that open attitude is is a bit a symptom of of these teams just feeling a bit safer. In, in mid-table security, you know, that they think, well, they, they are teams cut, so we'll even go for it. You know, they did score a couple of goals, Salernitana, but uh, Atalanta, when they're in the mood, can 
still be a, a mean a mean bunch and they certainly were this weekend. Yeah, definitely. And and just dipping into um Serie B briefly at the end, not to talk about Venezia because we play we play Genoa tomorrow night um in a big game for us anyway, <laughs> since we're back in the in the um relegation zone. Uh, but the the appointment of Cagliari's new manager, Ranieri, and uh, off to a win today as well, which is quite a vital win because Cagliari really have underperformed quite massively. Um, not as bad as Venezia, but I, I would have expected Genoa and Cagliari to be right up there uh, given their history and their status as, as clubs in Italian football. Absolutely, dilly ding, dilly dong. He's, <laughs> woke, he's woken them up. Um, and I saw that, I mean... People that follow Italian football will all have seen it. Cagliari Calcio tweeted that it's uh, it was eleven thousand five hundred sixty three days between his wins as Cagliari coach. He was he was Cagliari coach back in the in the early nineties, and so on the nineteenth of May nineteen ninety one, um, Ranieri had a win, and now he's back to to winning ways. I mean, I was just thinking, what's happened in my life? Since 1991, I've, <laughs> I've got married, I've changed jobs, I've had two children, you know, since the last time Claudio Ranieri won a game at the helm of, of Cagliari. But it's becoming, you know, I, I hate to use the word in your presence, Marco, but I think Serie B is becoming the hipster's division. You know, there's so so much interest coming into, into Serie B with, we've discussed at length, the, the sort of the big name managers that are in it, um, the former players that are World Cup winners, but now you're getting somebody like that who will draw interest from from the UK into into Serie B as well, you know. And and you're right, Cagliari haven't done anything like what they should have done so far. So you know, if if the old boy can still is still up to the job, then you know he can he can certainly make make a difference. And you know, I'd noticed they also. Unveiled a new mascot, <laughs> a oh, giant. Although well, no, you missed this, a giant. I, was, I, I don't think it was a chicken. I'm not sure what it was. <laughs> it was a big fluffy thing called Pulley. Apparently, oh, I don't right. know what the I don't know what the significance of Pulley is. But he got them a got them a win, whoever it was. So you know, the, the exciting times in in Serie B. I think at the at the, at the top end, and it'll be interesting to see. We'll obviously watch closely. Um, and see just, you know, it's been a bit of a downward spiral for Ranieri since the, the Leicester miracle. It's not been great wherever else he's gone. But, you know, he's such a nice guy, I think, um, other than, obviously, when he plays Venezia, everybody will be wishing him well in, in most games in Serie B going, going forward, I think. So it's just, it's yet another reason to make sure you listen to the Rigori podcast and to make sure you follow Serie B just as much as you follow your Serie A. Indeed, indeed. And just picking up on that point that you said there about, obviously, more eyes on Serie B as a result of all of this stuff. It's interesting because I was I was guest on another podcast, La Lanterna podcast, a Genoa fan podcast, in advance of the game tomorrow. But we were discussing how the coverage of Serie B, just even with the presence of... Genoa, Cagliari, all these big names, etc., is still pretty poor in Italy. Like in the Gazzetta dello Sport, you'll be lucky if you get a page on Serie B if it's not, you know, the the, the day after the matches or whatever. Um, and th- it is a bit frustrating that 
because especially this year where it is so competitive and there are so many stories to tell really about that division that that there is such a top-heavy perspective uh, from the media. You're so right, Marco. It's it's a thing I've noticed. I mean, not just Serie B, I think anything outside of the absolute big guns, the the clickbait sides. I mean, the, the Gazeta really has gone down a lot in my estimation. I revered that paper growing up as a kind of the Bible and, you know, the the absolute detailed historical document of Italian football. But the certainly the, the website now is is just dominated by, you know, what some Juventus wag is doing <laughs> more than more than reporting on, you know, Fiorentina and certainly so Serie B just Drops off. I, th- I think that's a, a. It's probably for another podcast because we've ranted on plenty. Mm-hmm. But you know, I think it's a, a. There's a wider malaise or a wider issue with that in football. That you know, and it's the same with Scottish football that you get nothing outside of the old firm. Really, I mean, that's mm-hmm. long been the case. But it's got even worse. That I don't think there isn't the resource and there isn't the willingness to cover lower divisions at all. Despite, as you say, you know, there's plenty to see about. Serie B, there's there's a lot of interesting threads, and I just, I don't know why they don't even you know if they picked out two or three things to cherry. But if you don't have the resource to give you know in depth to every game, which they used to do, then you know give us give us something in depth one day a week on on yeah. on these teams, you know, because there's there's stories there's stories to be told for sure, and it's just but it is you're right, it's hard, and it is it's even harder here to get that information. So you know we're here to address well, I was, that. A I bit. was going to say you say it's harder, but not if you listen to this podcast. So we hope you enjoyed uh, this episode, and definitely tune in next week for more. Serie B discussion and some Serie A discussion as well uh, hopefully after Venezia's surprise win over Genoa in Genoa um, but uh, yeah if you enjoyed it please rate and review us uh, tell your friends about us follow us, subscribe, all of that stuff because uh, that helps us grow which is great uh, but otherwise we will see you next week bye for now